Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, where we show you what's possible personally, professionally, and financially when you do the right work. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, I know you'll enjoy some of the content that we've got over on the Paychecks and Balances blog. We've got write-ups on crypto, ways to increase your net worth and save more money. If you're thinking about more advanced tips because you've mastered the basics, we've got articles on that too. And uh, this past weekend, I even posted about the second annual NFT awards and the great learning opportunity that that could be for folks. And you can find all of this over at paychecksandbalances.com, whether you're new or you've been around for a while. As for today's episode, I have a conversation of the utmost realness with the founder of DCP Entertainment and a former SiriusXM executive, Chris Colbert. And I met Chris at Podcast Movement over the summer, and we had a conversation that honestly we probably could have recorded as a podcast episode then. So I knew when I scheduled him that we had a few things in common, but by the end of this episode, I realized it was a lot deeper than I even thought possible. And this brother brings the vulnerability and the candor that I would love to see more of us display on a regular basis. We talk about his professional come up, founding a mission-focused content creation company, the monies, of course, but we talk about so much more. So I will catch you on the flip side. Here's my chat with Chris, and I hope you enjoy. Yo, Chris, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, we met back at Podcast Movement in August, which already seems like it was forever ago now, just given how much has changed. I know we were catching up a little bit before the show. But before getting into that, for the people who aren't familiar with you, tell the PNB family a little bit about yourself. My name is Chris Colbert. I am the CEO and founder of a couple of different companies that operate in this podcast world, Uh, a company called DCP Entertainment, which is all about underrepresented communities, conversations, focusing on people of color, women, LGBTQ plus individuals people with disability, basically these marginalized communities, but also having a lot of focus on what we call these underrepresented conversations too. So things about like mental health and overcoming adversity, things that are being talked about a little bit more, but we just feel like can be, these conversations can be had more responsibly and and be and targeting communities that don't have these conversations enough. So DCP is one of the companies I run as well as this new Podstream Studios, Times Square, where I'm currently recording in. Uh, it's uh, an arm of our DCP entertainment company where we have a lot of our talent based here in New York, but we also rent this space out to others to record video content, record podcasts, audiobooks, all of that. So I run a couple of businesses and then just a, a quick little bit of my background. I actually started my career at Sirius XM Radio, um, where I worked for 11 years and created multiple radio stations, including Jamie Foxx's radio station, a George Carlin radio station, a Latino comedy channel, ran a few other comedy channels as well. And when I left there, I was the director of Urban Talk and Comedy. So I've had most of my career in the audio sphere, but now I'm definitely more in the, the media sphere of doing video, audio, who knows, augmented reality, virtual reality might be in my future. It's crazy because you've had quite the journey. And I'd be curious to know how much things have changed from when you started, particularly when you think about broadcast audio and uh, what that was at the beginning, you know, Sirius XM. I remember when it was Sirius and XM and they were separate things and they like came together whenever that was. So uh, how how, how have things changed most significantly when you look at kind of then versus now? Well, I was part of that shift of Sirius and XM coming together. When I first started at Sirius, it was 2006. I was an intern there. So it was just Sirius, this small company that no one had really ever heard of. It was this new opportunity to really be creative in the audio space in a way that you couldn't be in terrestrial radio. So on the music side, you can play more of the B-sides. On the 
talk side, you have more freedom to talk and, and actually engage audiences. So like, that's where I really started my career was like this new medium that has all these possibilities of ways to present content, which is kind of where we find ourselves now in the podcast world, which is kind of what led me here. But yeah, the starting point at Sirius was this, this open access to creativity and also for such a young company, having the ability to climb the corporate ladder and, and possibly be able to be on that executive level. So over the course of my 11 years there, I went from an intern all the way to basically the highest ranking minority in the talk division. Um, you know, urban talk and comedy. Uh, my, my title was director of urban talk and comedy, which is the politically correct way of saying I ran black and Latino focused yeah, programming urban. Urban. <laughs> in the talk space. Exactly. So, you know, getting the, to work my way up the ladder at the same time that we were going through a recession, that we went through a merger between Sirius and XM, where literally there were days when the merger was being talked about that I thought, hey, we might not even have a job anymore. Our stock was plummeting. So you were going with this uncertainty of not having a job, but you're also at this cutting edge of technology and what the industry can be. And also you're talking about this merger that can make you the one of the biggest media companies out there. It's like there were so many ways that things could have went. But as an employee, you're not in control of any of it. So you just have to continue to do your job while you're reading the tea leaves of what's going on. And I think that was definitely one of my first eye-opening experiences of how our day-to-day lives as employees is impacted by the decisions made by the executive level. Because again, I could have been out of a job even when the merger happened. There were a lot of layoffs that happened and you were concerned of, okay, am I going to get laid off because there's a redundancy between the XM talk department and the serious talk department? We started to learn that, okay, maybe it's not our office that's losing a lot of people, but it's the DC office that's losing people. So we go down to DC and people are looking at us like we're the Grim Reaper. So like, even though I wasn't even there to fire anybody, everybody looks at me as if I'm there to fire people. So you also got a bird's eye view into like how different departments, how different locations feel about each other, you know, the best ways to kind of keep morale up and also what happens when you don't keep morale up. I really just got this crash course by being at Sirius of just the various aspects of business, which has really helped me as I'm now an entrepreneur myself. I got to learn the do's and don'ts on somebody else's dime before I jumped into it all on my own. No, it's funny you say crash course, because as you were talking, I was like, this sounds like a crash course MBA is, is what it sounds like. <laughs> yep, I only have my bachelor's, business. so I needed that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, there's probably nothing that, or yeah, there's probably nothing you haven't done really when it comes to running things from uh, from the ground up, which is you know part of why you, why you have your own business. But you said something that was interesting, and you're going to say a lot of things that are interesting, I already know. But you talked about climbing the corporate ladder and that being appealing to you. Uh, being able to have that opportunity for career development. And, and right now there's all it is being an entrepreneur, this, that, uh, sometimes being full-time employed gets a, a negative rap. People talk about it as the rat race, but you saw the opportunity to progress as uh, as a positive thing. So it, I was wondering if you could say more about that. Why was that the path initially before you know you, you made the decision that you were going to do your own thing? Yeah, to explain that, honestly, I have to back up a little bit. I, I've fortunately come out of a household where my mother was an entrepreneur. So she was a computer consultant. You know, this is the early stages of computers. So especially a woman, a black woman in that field, she was, you know, definitely the minority in that space. But she, you know, built from the ground up, literally starting in our basement to eventually, you know, creating a business that had over 200 employees and X amount of freelancers. And she ended up selling the company before the age of 50, you know, for millions of dollars and, you know, was able to retire. So I got to have like this first person view of what it is to create a business, everything that goes into it. And she was always encouraging me and my sister um, to be entrepreneurs ourselves. And my sister really took to that. She immediately, when she went to college, she was starting businesses while she was going through classes. 
Meanwhile, me, I was the exact opposite. My mom's asking, do I want to take over the company or trying to instill that I should be owning my own? And I was constantly saying, well, some people own businesses and run businesses. Some people work for people. I work for people. I get things done. I'm a I'm a logic-based person. I'm, I'm all about let's get things done in this order and organization, blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of opposed to being an entrepreneur. And then what happened in my career is I was climbing that corporate ladder. I still want to make a difference. I want to make change. And it's serious just in the media landscape as a whole. So I don't want to just put this on serious. But I was just noticing that across the media landscape, there weren't enough opportunities being given to people of color, particularly Black individuals. And so I was making it my career mission while at Sirius to not only help to get more, you know, incredible talent on the air, but also make sure the right kind of staff are behind these shows and that these shows are getting the same level of marketing and press and promotion, talent booking, you know, basically that all these shows are getting the same resources that a white cis male, you know, hosted program would get. I have to jump in and ask a question and I'm going to try not to lead you with it. What was that experience like? Because that's almost like doing diversity and inclusion work. Essentially, yeah. What was that experience like? Because I do imagine that's kind of like on top of your regular job, or maybe that was part of your job. I'm just curious about that. It was part of my job, but part of my job in the sense that I was making it part of my job. You know, it's something that I felt like needed to be part of my job and that somebody wasn't doing it in a way that I felt like was the right ways of doing it. You know, there, there wasn't somebody who was truly championing on a regular basis for those communities. And so... I took it upon myself as somebody who was trying to climb that corporate ladder to make that part of my journey. So as I raise up, I'm going to raise these people with me. I'm going to give people opportunities on the air, but also behind the scenes and also make sure that they're being compensated properly, that they're being taken care of, that not even just in terms of like financially, but are they being taken care of, of learning the skills that's going to help them get the job that they want? One of the first things I ask almost every employee, whether it be at my time at Sirius, you know, or at the uh, podcast company I went to, Cadence 13, or with our company, DCP Entertainment, one of the big things I always ask every employee is, what is your career goal? What are you trying to work towards? Because I know that your end goal probably isn't just to work for me for the rest of your life. So how can we set you up with the skills to be able to get that position? How do we get you the job titles to get you that position? Because ultimately, I wouldn't be where I am without people giving me the opportunities that allow me to take advantage of those skills, to take advantage of those job titles to get me that next job on my stepping stone. And at the end of the day, by giving them those skills, I'm able to now delegate stuff that allows my job to be easier, allows me to be more trusting that my team knows what they're doing and that they're being proactive because I'm allowing them the freedom to grow. And also by doing that, they are now, you know, I'm not doing it for this reason, but a lot of times they are now... Uh, invested in me. They're invested in the company that they work with because they're being given all these skills and being given these opportunities to grow themselves. And so that's the kind of method that I come at. And that's what I was trying to do at Sirius as well is as I'm raising, let's raise everybody else up with me. And let's be honest, a lot of our interns now or or people who work for us now will be our bosses 10 years from now. So, hey, let's put in the work now, you know, get that, that, uh, you know, build up that cachet with some of these people so that down the road, hey, maybe they can help raise me up down the road. Or maybe that's somebody that we're going to want to partner with in the future. And because I went out of my way to make sure that they had the opportunities that they needed, they're going to help to raise me up and give me opportunities in the future. So I've always tried to come with that mindset of how do how do all was it, you know, all tides, uh, uh, raising tides, raise all ships. You know, that's the, the kind of uh, method that I've always tried to approach business with. Yeah, I'm very much uh, on the ship of lifting as you climb, is, is what I like to say, you know, and, and, that, and that has some significance to me, uh, generally being in service of others. 
also being something that's top of mind. I'm, 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 I knew there was a reason that we had a conversation. I, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. When you talk about uh, giving people uh, opportunities, positioning them for their career success, that's great to, to hear, but there's a lot of shitty managers out there. <laughs> I think sometimes that, especially earlier in our career, we'll rely on our manager to keep track of everything that we've done and to know what's up at performance review season. But you've been a manager. I've been a manager. Like I can't keep track of every single thing you're doing. I expect you to yeah. keep track of it yourself. I'll remember some of the highlights. You give me the notes, and then I'll paint that in when I write the formal performance review. In a lot of situations, people have trash managers. And so what do you do? Your career focus, your ambitious, you're trying to come up and you've got a bad manager, but you still want to be in control of your career and you want to ensure that when performance review season comes around, things turn out right. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that if you don't have a manager who's as supportive as you're describing? Yeah, it's tough. And every situation is different. Every company is different. Um, I've been fortunate that most of my primary uh, uh, bosses have been great bosses where they give me this autonomy to really just be myself and and to be creative. And they, you know, haven't looked over my shoulder, but at the same time, they give advice to help lead me down the right direction. And so that's also taught me to be a better manager. That said, I have also had some bad managers along the way. And the way I handle it, to be honest, is I try to learn from their mistakes. You know, let me understand why I don't like them as a manager. So I can make sure that when I am in that management position, I don't repeat those mistakes. So that's one thing I go at from this mindset of, okay, I'm thinking big picture down the road. What is this teaching me? But, you know, if we're talking about in the moment, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm underneath this, this person. I can't really change that. What do you do? Well, one, you know, try to be vocal in a polite way with that boss of, okay, what are, what are your pain points? What are the things that you're feeling like are holding you back from growing? And then also let them know hey, this growth will help you in these these kind of ways. So incentivize your boss to give you what you need to make their life easier. So I think that's one way to approach it with the particular boss. But then also, even still, that might not work. Um, and so the other big thing is find mentors outside of your immediate boss, whether it be in your company or outside the company, find people who can give you those things that you're lacking so that you can find an opportunity outside of that boss, whether it be moving departments whether that be just getting these new skill sets that allow you to go to another company. So if it's learning new software or, hey, you know, I'll talk from the radio side of things. If I'm in the talk department and I'm feeling not, not getting what I need, can I learn some skills that can move me over to the music department or over to the Howard Stern channel? You know, so constantly just looking for opportunities and learning skills that can allow you to quickly be able to pivot if you need to. Um, but I still say, like, you know, you still have that boss that you have to answer to day to day. So to make your life easier, try to go to them directly and try to resolve things, but make that resolution all around. How does it benefit them? Because ultimately, you know, we're going to make decisions that are going to make our lives easier. You know, whether we're good, well-intentioned or not, that we are, tend to be selfish and we should be selfish sometimes. So yeah, make it easy for your boss to understand why it behooves them to make your life easier or to make your growth projection uh, better and, and to make sure that you're getting the skills that you need. I love that. And I even encourage people to be more selfish because I find even now we struggle with like this loyalty concept where even when it comes to something like taking off vacation time, so time that we've earned off, I've still felt like that, like, oh, I'm taking time off, like things are busy. But at the end of the day, if the company had to do something and do what was best for the company and that included letting me go, they would have no issue doing that. So yep. people should have that same kind of attitude about taking care of themselves. And even when they need to make an ask of their manager, like, or for some, for example, someone may say, oh, the company's not doing as well. You know, I don't want to make an ask right now. And it's like, well, 
that doesn't change the value of your skills. That doesn't change what you need to survive. So you need to make that ask anyway, not be so loyal to the point that you're not asking for the things that you ultimately need. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I'll I'll talk about it as a a manager of a small business. You know, there's some times that our employees, and I'm not perfect as a manager, I'm constantly learning and trying to get better. And there's times where our team will come to me or come to our chief content officer to say, hey, can I get more money or can I get this or can I get that? And we're not always able to give them those things, especially as a small business, especially when you talk around like the finance side, like, hey, we need to get, you know, we need to bring in X amount of revenue or we need to get more investment to be able to to get you more money or to do these other things or to bring in these resources. So the answer is not always yes, but by being vocal by our team, letting us know now it's in the back of my mind that, okay, this is going to help to keep this person here. This is going to help to make us stronger as a team. So even if I can't do it in the immediate, uh, uh, you know, in the immediate request that you're giving me. It's also allowing me to make sure that I'm setting things up to get you what you need in the future. Now, hopefully that's what a good manager will do, but also even a bad manager by asking that. And then you can see six months down the road, a year down the road, did you get what you needed? That helps you evaluate, is this the right place for me? So even asking and not getting what you receive can also be a a really beneficial thing. So you understand where you stand within the company and can this company, whether it be good or bad, can they provide me what I need for my growth? Yeah. And it's good to have those checkpoints too, where Mm -hmm. even outside of the formal performance review cycle, I asked for something six months ago, four months ago, I asked for it two times now and nothing has changed. All right. Now it's time to start exploring a new role before I get to the point that I hate it here so much that I take the first job that I get. And now I'm back in the same situation again, because I ran from something as opposed to to something. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to be running to something. You don't want to be running away from something because that also shows up on your resume, too. You know, people can tell, you know, when you're you're just really just trying to run from a bad situation, but you didn't plan out where you're going next. You don't want those gaps. You want to be able to tell that cohesive story of, OK, I left this position to, to explore a new opportunity to further my career or, or to do the things that I really want to be doing. Yeah. man, I love this because. So much of it is how you operate strategically. And I can tell some of that probably comes from the experience that you had growing up. And I'm curious how that experience, you know, seeing the business, things like that, how that shaped the way that kind of you view and operate with money. Yeah, but growing up the way I did, it was a, it was a big help. I was I was. So even though I was talking about how I didn't want to be an entrepreneur, I look back yeah. now and realize I was an entrepreneur as a child. I think it was the fourth grade was probably my first entrepreneur endeavor. I was selling creepy crawlers in school. Um, I you know got like for Christmas one of them creepy crawler machines, and so yeah. I was creepy you know yeah it's fun to play with them yourself. Crawlers, <laughs> right there. <laughs> so I'm selling these things in school and making you know some decent money. And so my sister's like, hey, I want to get in on this. And so we decide that we're going to take these proceeds. And do a even better business. We're gonna take these proceeds and buy a button making machine. So like little buttons that you you know put on your your chest. So we're gonna make customizable buttons. So as we were deciding to do this, my mom jumps in and says, "Okay, well if this is what you're gonna do. You got to put together a business plan. How much are your materials gonna cost? How much is that equipment gonna cost? You know how many are you gonna put out? How much are you selling it for?" So we learned at an early age. Okay, if you want to make money, you have to plan out how much are you spending and how much are you bringing back. What is your churn? You know, how much profit are you going to make? So we learned that at such an early age that it was just kind of ingrained in me that once I did finally get in to the mindset of, okay, as an adult professional, I'm ready to step out and be an entrepreneur. I had these lessons already ingrained in me. Um, now, mind you, me and my sister did do our button business. I ended up getting caught at school and they ended up making me do it for free for the school. 
but <laughs> the experience was still great. And my sister, I think, you know, she never stopped. She continued on that projection. And like I said, went to college and just started doing businesses right there. Me, I kind of just stashed that knowledge and those skill sets away to then be pulled out later on, which, you know, is benefiting me now. And in so many different ways, I can probably imagine from the experience uh, in broadcast to what you're doing now and probably whatever's going to be coming up after this. I was also thinking about how you've managed your mental health along the way as well. I know we were talking about that a little bit beforehand. I know even with DCP, there's a mental health element to the platform. And uh, while you were going through the corporate times, and it sounds like overall you had a positive experience or you created a positive experience for yourself. I'm curious what you've done to kind of keep yourself grounded and and manage your mental health over the years to to ensure that you stay on top of things that you can keep moving forward, even when things might feel like they're going down. It's definitely another thing that's a work in progress. And I'm still discovering things about myself. I think this, this, you know, COVID, when we, especially here in New York City, we had that extreme lockdown. That quiet time really helped me to learn a lot of things about myself. I did a lot more reading just about who we are as human beings and spirituality and all this. And it, it allowed me to really just have this quiet time with myself to really evaluate how I think, why I think the way I think. A lot of the things that I learned taught me about some of the mental health struggles I've been dealing with my whole life. You know, one of them being I, I had a lot of people die in my life early growing up, most of them being men under the age of 40. So I had a lot of issues around death. I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore with a lot of racism, which I also grew up in a white neighborhood. So a white suburb, grew up with racism, had the KKK around my house, skinheads living behind my house, Wait. you know, lots of racist issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maryland is the South. People forget that. We're below the Mason-Dixon line. It, it's, uh, it's a different world over there. You know, I grew up with those things, but also racial identity issues. You know, again, being a black person in a white area, am I am I black in a white world? Am I, you know, am I white on the inside, but I'm black on the outside? You know, those things as kids that uh, you're, you're kind of struggling with, you know what I mean? Like, what does it really mean me, to be black? Yo, you just, I just, I, I might have just got triggered or something because my back, that whole, am I black, that whole thing. Go on, brother. Go on, man. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, to, sorry to tighten you up. Hope you got a massage going, going later today. No, it's. And that's something that I didn't realize in the moment. I it had I had to get older to realize what I was going through. But then also, um, I didn't realize that I had literally clinical de- uh, depression within me at the same time. So it wasn't until later in life that I realized I've been suffering from what's called dysthymia for most of my life. And most people haven't heard of dysthymia. Dysthymia is like a form of depression that's more long term and and not as acute. So like people with depression, a lot of times might sit in the dark, you know, just want all this silence. And it can be like, you know, for a day or for a few hours, my dysthymia lasts for years. So I'll just feel down and feel kind of hopeless and exhausted for a year, two years on end. And as I get older, these these uh, periods last longer and longer. And I didn't mm. realize what it was when I was younger. It, it, was, it wasn't until I got older that I more so realized it. And I'll, I'll get into how I realized a little bit later. But then I, I also had in this situation uh, in my 20s where I got jumped. Uh, half my face is actually titanium. Um, they completely fractured my orbital bone. What? And yeah, I got jumped by about six or seven people. I ended up having to leave work for about a month and go back down to Maryland. I was actually working at Sirius at the time when this happened. Had to go back to Johns Hopkins, had to do reconstructive plastic surgery on my face. And so I have PTSD from that. But that wasn't something I even realized in the moment. It took me maybe even four or five years later to realize I had PTSD. And my realization of that, as well as with the dysthymia, came because when we started DCP Entertainment, one of the first programs I wanted to do was called Inner Space, a show all around mental health and really helping to break down the stigma around conversations of mental health. 
And the, the reason that it was big for me, even after all the things I just listed mental health wise for myself, those weren't the reasons for me doing it. The real reason was my cousin has schizophrenia um, and he's constantly in and out of homelessness. And so I was more so trying to figure out how can I help him? How can I better understand some of the situations he's going through, better understand this community, not realizing that I am part of this community that is struggling with mental and, and emotional issues. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that series and hearing people talk about their experiences, I started being like, oh, that's me. Oh, hold up, that's me too. And the PTSD thing I think was strange. I think I had been denying it because I thought about PTSD as this thing that you only get if you grew up in the projects. If you grew up or you, you, know, you went to war, you had like literally, yeah. I thought PTSD had to be around violence. I didn't, and yes, I got jumped, but I didn't think about my violence that I incurred of being beat up with hands to somebody else who had to live life and death experiences on a regular basis. And so I was discounting my own trauma, discounting my own experiences. And it took having to hear other people's experiences to take a step back and realize, oh, that's me. Oh, that's why I get so tense around big groups of people because I was once surrounded and jumped. Oh, that's why I can't watch action movies the same way I used to because when they start hitting people, I cringe and I... I don't know why my jaw is so, so clenched, but it had to do with just being able to understand others' experiences. And that's how I now, as just a person, but also in our programming, we try to come across of, we're not going to preach to you. We're going to talk about our own experiences. Let's talk about life experiences. Let's talk about our personal experiences to help you see yourself reflected in this content, to see yourself reflected in this, these conversations, and to maybe realize some things that you need to overcome or that you need to take a closer look at. So yeah, that's kind of where my mental health journey has led me. And and now in running this company, I do try my best to set up boundaries uh, where I am taking care of my mental health better. I'm definitely not perfect, but literally making sure that I'm doing that for myself, but also allowing my team to know that sick days also mean mental health days. So if you need to step away to be able to to just be able to to breathe, um, then that's fine because you're going to be a better employee when you come back. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the shortest version of what I can tell you of my mental health journey, but I'm happy to, to jump into any of that. Yeah, man, I love giving people permission to take the time for themselves. It's so important for people to hear a manager, leader say that, but also to see a leader do that, not just say it. So don't be talking about take time for yourself and then you work in all the crazy hours forever and then asking people for stuff on the weekends because how are people supposed to take yeah. time for themselves if you're asking them for shit on the weekends? I, I love hearing that. And It's not a club that I enjoy being part of, but also it resonates talking about the PTSD, even that that side of things, given that that was a recent uh, revelation for self and, you know, suddenly all of these things that made sense. And what I've found kind of weird is that I've watched all this programming, all of this stuff on TV over the years, things with PTSD. I think the example of the uh, war veteran who's on a lawn in their boxers and their T-shirt holding a gun, they're out of their mind. That's what you think that it is. Or, uh, or, or somebody who maybe was in a uh, extreme uh, domestic violence situation or something like that. And it is those things too, but it can happen so many different ways. And I, I realized for many years that like I watched this stuff and I had it suppressed it so much. And I think I even did some of the thing where I was like, well, you know, what happened to me wasn't as bad as, and it's that as bad as that gets you, you know? You have so to qualify your complain. own experiences. Yeah. And, and that's what gets you. And I realized I'd done that for so long. It wasn't until I had the space to myself, this mental health leave that I took from work and that I had the chance for uh, silence And I had the chance to just kind of be alone with my thoughts and to actually allow some of those voices that are easy to suppress, 
you know, to actually hear what they're saying and being like, okay, there's a lot of work to do here. And then a lot of those other things started to come up. And then it's like, wow, all of this stuff that I've been watching on TV as entertainment, like that's actually been me the whole time. It's kind of like a, a mind fuck in some ways. Oh, yeah. Well, here, I'll, I'll tell you something I, I haven't, I definitely haven't said out uh, like in any interviews, but I haven't told a lot of people about this. But one thing I did during the uh, the pandemic, I took mushrooms at one point during the pandemic. I've taken them before, but this is like the first one, just kind of taking it alone in my house. I, I've done it once or twice out in nature and it's been a great experience. But the, this was my first time kind of having like a bad trip, as they call it. But it was a bad trip in a way that it helped me expose how my mind thinks. So I'm literally like laying down and I'm like, all right, I just want to pass out. So I, I kind of, you know, close my eyes and I could literally kind of picture myself as like my eyelids are getting heavy like, and it's getting dark. I'm like, you know, literally falling into a deeper sleep. I almost kind of envision myself kind of hanging from my eyelids and like I refuse to let go. And what kept ringing in my head was like, you're going to die. Like if I let go, I'm going to die. And it reminded me as I was able to think about this later, I have a really bad problem with insomnia. And I've never fully been able to pinpoint why it is. And I think it's a lot of different factors. But one of the major Same. factors that I now realize it is, is because of all that death I experienced early in my life and all the loss that I've had and some of the tra other trauma that I've been through, like being jumped, I have this control issue of, oh, like if I am falling asleep, I'm losing control. I'm no longer in control of my mind. I'm no longer in control of my breathing. So me literally hanging on, clinging to my own eyelids to not fall asleep was this control issue that I have. And it was just so eye-opening to realize that. So now I can actually go in and, and do a better job of, okay, what do I need to do to overcome that? By the way, I'm not <laughs> telling people to go take mushrooms on their own. Uh, I know it is yeah, something yeah, that's actually yeah. being studied in hospitals and stuff as a way to help, to, to help with depression and things, um, which was actually part of why I also took it too, was to kind of see that. But anyway, all to say, like, you don't have to take mushrooms to do this, but by sitting in silence and really just evaluating your thoughts and why do you have those thoughts, I think it can be really eye-opening and help you maybe get to a, a healthier place. Yeah. And it might be difficult at first. You know, and I, I've looked into mushrooms and psilocybin. I mean, at this point, I'm looking into any, everything because the angst and some of the feelings, I'm like, I just want these things to go from an eight to like a four. I'll take that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking into all the different possibilities. And I know a lot of people who have had a uh, positive experience with uh, psilocybin. The, the other thing that I find to be challenging with this is how you move forward. Because once that stuff comes back up, and you realize kind of what some of those underlying things are. It's like, shit, man. Like now it's, it's, it's back up there. Yep. And you know that it's something that it's not, it's not going to go away. Those things never go away, but yep. you, you get to a place where you finally you're, you're comfortable being able to, to, to kind of talk about them and even accept them. And I'm wondering when that point was for you, because you, you speak about it very matter of fact, very, very confidently, uh, which I love, but I know that it also had to take some time to get to that point. Yeah, it definitely has. And I'll definitely first start this, and I should have started all this by saying, you know, try to get a, a, a healthcare professional, like a, somebody who is literally licensed to do this, has, has gone to school for this. That's super important because you want to make sure you're doing this in a healthy way, especially as you're bringing up old emotions that you've probably been burying for a reason. Again, not a good thing to do to bury these things, but it's, it's a self-defense mechanism. And so you want to make sure you have some kind of professional to help you along that journey. And some of us may need medication to treat some kind of baseline chemical imbalance as we're working through those things. And hopefully, eventually, you can wean off those. So I just want to first mention that. I think for me, it has definitely been work over years. I've had four or five different therapists over the years, and I've left them for varying different reasons. Sometimes it's been I just wasn't ready. Sometimes they just weren't the right person. 
sometimes I just felt like, okay, I got all that I can out of this person. I need a different kind of person to help me with this next part of my journey. So I think all of those uh, experiences together, while also just, again, being honest about these trauma experiences that I've had and, and taking a step back and just understanding how that's affected me and my life moving forward has been really good because I don't always look at the negative. I also look at how it's positively affected me. I think the a lot of the trauma that I've gone through has allowed me to be more empathetic as an individual because I've been through so many different kinds of experiences. I can relate to so many different kinds of people. So I look at it as, yes, these situations sucked, but also it allows me to make somebody else's situation better. And so this was the journey that I had to go through to get me to where I am now to be an advocate for others or to provide platforms for others to speak with from their own personal experiences. So I think part of it has been just fully acknowledging what I've been through and realizing the positive that positives that come out of it while also trying to, with a mental health care professional, treat the negatives of what has come out of that. Man, you got me thinking about so many different things. One in particular, and I talked about this in a recent episode, because I think of a therapist, doctor, I think of that as like one person in your life portfolio. And I think of life portfolio, the people, the things, kind of like how you'd invest in the market, you know, you, you got people that hold you up, you know, so if things aren't going well in one area, you might have mentors, that type of thing. Um, I'm curious, who are some of the people that are in your life portfolio? I'm so fortunate. I have so many great people that I can reach out to. One uh, is actually, I was mentioning this show, Inner Space, that we started our our, uh, DCP company with. Uh, The host of that is Dr. Barbara Van Dalen. She is a medical uh, professional uh, therapist. Uh, She also actually has just gotten done serving in two White House terms in helping to end veteran suicide. She started and was running. She has now handed over the CEO duties, was running a mental health organization called Given Hour. Um, and I've actually done a lot of speaking with them. I've attended a lot of events uh, here in America and also in the UK with them. Her and her network has been a huge asset for me where now if people come to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with something, I'm actually you know, trying to work with a friend of mine now, I can reach out to her or reach out to this network to say, hey, what kind of help should I get this person or what should I, kind of help should I get myself? Or, hey, I'm struggling with something. What, is th- what does this mean to you? Um, and I don't use them as my technical therapist. I'll use them to refer me to somebody who may be more specific to the areas that I'm looking in. So I have those great resources. The other is, is just literally just friends, you know, people that I've met along the, my journey. And there's certain friends that I know I can be more open about with my personal experiences and what I'm thinking. And those I really like to lean on to have somebody who understands maybe from their own personal experiences or somebody who understands me as a person to help give me context to what I'm going through. So, you know, sometimes you get stuck so much in the here and now you need somebody who's been through it or it can be a little bit more objective to help you get that big picture uh, uh, to help you maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think those are my, my two main ones uh, that, that have really been helpful for me. For people that, that may be like struggling with the concept of going out, finding a mentor, uh, having multiple people that they check in with. How do you recommend that they go about approaching that to make it to make it easier on themselves? Approach these conversations as like, yes, you may be looking for a mentor, but also what are you giving in return? Like these should be, you know, symbiotic relationships. You, you know, these should be friends. These should be, you know, networks where they are also able to get something back from you as well. Um I think the other is just understanding what it is that you want, whether it be on the business side or the personal side, what it is that you're trying to achieve. Is there a business goal? Is there an emotional goal that you're trying to reach? Are you trying to learn how to set up better boundaries? You know, I'll use, the, I have a, a person I call my mentor and he, I'm sure he would have refused that I'm, that he's my mentor, but uh, this guy, Rich Burner, he 
helps run uh, uh, the uh, Jamel Hill's podcast network. We, him and I used to work together at Cadence 13 is how we first met, but we actually didn't really connect until we both left, well, until I left the company. We actually got closer when I left because we just started talking more openly, not just about business, but also our personal lives and how that factors into the amount of hours that we're working. So I call him a mentor because he's somebody who's constantly in my ear of, Chris, did you take a vacation this year? Chris, you didn't take a vacation? Okay, you have to put one on your calendar. Okay, it's on your calendar, Chris. All right, you didn't cancel it, right? You're not allowed to cancel that. He's constantly in my ear making sure that I'm taking personal time for myself and setting up boundaries. And so he's someone I need to rely on for that. We still talk business and he teaches me some things there too. But his value to me as a mentor is, is someone to make me take a step back and check in with the personal side. So for me, I know I have trouble setting up boundaries. I'm a workaholic. I will work 80-hour workers. I've been doing it you know, for the last couple of decades. <laughs> but I need people to tell me how to pull back sometimes so that I'm not burning myself out, so that I am my best self for my team and for the, the content or for the, uh, the programs that we're putting out. And so, yeah, it's important to have different mentors who are going to help you in different areas. Now, as I'm, as I'm looking back on it, I probably made it a lot more complicated. I definitely made it more complicated than it needed to be. I've done a good job having kind of more of the peers, the mastermind groups. I found that to be tremendously helpful. Peers, uh, yeah, that was the word I was looking for before. Ah, okay, okay. What I'm realizing now, and, and I also have a leadership coach now as well, and I've, I've had one for the past year, and that's been super helpful probably the closest thing to a, a mentor and one of the best investments I've made. And I'm realizing though, as I think about kind of where I want to pivot, that this, I can mainly fly it solo. It's like, I've got to get more people in my network who've already done it or at least, or reach out to, because I think sometimes we also forget how many people that we've met over the course of the years. Cause my leadership oh, yeah. coach, he'd give me, he'd give me an exercise of like, write down a list of people that would support you in creating whatever the task was in, in, in that in that session, and as I, as I started writing down names, I real I was like, "Yo, this is a pretty freaking long list of people," you know. <laughs> and as I, I can imagine for you, it's probably the same thing. It's like, "Yo, I've I've met," and then also the feeling of knowing that you've done right by people too. Yeah. So that when you're thinking about people, you're not like, "Oh, I hope this person never has to like vouch for me," you know. That's a that's a really great point, actually. Yeah, you. You know, people talk about more and like don't burn bridges, but it's an extra step in that. Like, hey, have you added value to these people so that hopefully they want to evangelize for you down the road or, or to help you out in some kind of way? Yeah, I, I'm really big on those kinds of relationships. And, and back to, to also, you know, what I've done on the networking and, and peer side, you know, finding mentors in the business aspect. I always try to look at where are my deficiencies? I'm really strong out of the content world. Most of my career has been in creating content, but I'm not the best marketer. And, you know, I, I'm not the best legal mind. I know how to read contracts. I can create contracts. I've been doing them for years, but I'm not a lawyer. So having people in your network who are in these different areas can really be helpful. So like right now, one of my mentors in the podcast industry is helping me on the marketing side. On the business side, when I started the company, I was able to kind of do like you did. I had this list of, oh, I know these lawyers. I know, you know, these individuals. And I was able to reach to people, if not to hire them particularly, to ask them, hey, you're a lawyer in this field. Do you know any, you know, good entertainment lawyers that do podcast documentaries? Because we're going to be focusing a lot on that. So you have these resources of individuals that you're able to tap into. But yeah, don't just think about, hey, I have to have mentors or peers in my, in my, uh, in my career field. Think about the other career fields that are going to help you expand what you're trying to do. Because I love, even if I'm not trying to bring in a lawyer or bring in somebody in a different career field, I love learning from how they do their job so I can apply it to what I do in the podcast industry or in the video industry, because that's how you become innovative. 
you know, if you're learning from people yeah. outside your industry, you can bring new elements to your own industry that make makes your product pop a little bit more than everybody else. Yeah, yo. And I think I might have just had an epiphany about why I made the mentor thing so difficult for myself. I realized it is difficult to go to someone and ask for help when you haven't completely figured out what it is that you want for yourself. Touche. Yep. Yeah. And then you're going to someone and then you're hesitant. And that's the thing. When you go to someone for one of these uh, types of relationships or, or to build with someone this way, like it, it should be clear. Because I expect that when people come to me, like I'm not going to figure out your career, your business, your podcast for you. Yep. I expect that that you've done some of the work. And so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm like, man, the most clarity that I've had has probably come in these past six weeks, at least at the time of, the, of this recording. And looking back, uh, I probably wasn't ready at that time. I, I know I wasn't ready at that time because there, there was so much work to be done. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that too. That like there may be times where like, yo, you don't need to have a mentor right now. You need to work on yourself first or whatever that other thing is so that when you go to said person, you actually got your shit together. Yep. And I, I like to think about that just in your own career journey as a whole. Yeah. Think about what is the position that you want to have and reverse engineer it. So when I was uh, starting in the podcast industry as an intern at Sirius, my goal was to be a program director. That was my career goal. And so what I did is I looked at all the program director jobs and saw, okay, I need these skills. I need to know this technology. I need to have X amount of years as a producer. X, And then, so then I looked at producers. Okay. How many years of associate producer experience or board op experience. Do I need to get that job? So I literally reverse engineered it. So if you think about it in an analogy, it's okay, I decided I want to go to Disney World. And then I got, you know, I went to Google Maps and I mapped out how to get to Disney. I mapped out the different routes that can get me there. Well, without doing that, how the heck are you going to end up at Disney? Also, if you don't know that you want to go to Disney, you're going to end up in Albuquerque. So <laughs> if you're not, if you don't know where you're going, and then you're not able to map out how you're getting there. And if you're not mapping out how you're going to get there, then you can't be upset when you're not, when you don't get to your destination. So I try to think about my career as that same kind of way. Yeah. And I think that's probably the most frustrating part for people is when you realize that like it's it's ultimately on you to take control of that, drive it forward and to uh, do that work, uncover those things. Because, yeah, some of those things that we talked about earlier, the trauma, a lot of times those are the things that we don't know it consciously, but subconsciously. Those are the things that sounded real hotel. <laughs> <laughs> this turned into a whole those, other podcast. <laughs> those are the things that, that hold us back. And, and I did want to talk a little bit more about DCP before we wrap up, because speaking of thinking about where I'm going and, I, and my own future vision, I'm seeing what you're doing. And I'm like, man, this brother is doing the thing that I'm trying to move myself toward, you know, maybe more with blogs and some other stuff spliced in there. But it, it's awesome to see uh, us create companies that that speak to issues uh, as uh, as as passionately as as you do. Thank whether you. it be about mental health, whether it be recognizing and acknowledging the, uh, the the violence that continues to happen against underrepresented folks and the various things that that you have going on. So, talk a little bit more about about the the vision behind it, and then about kind of where you see it going, because you are a strategic thinker. So I, I know you probably are already thinking a, a few years down the road at this point, at, at least what you can share. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I always have like 50 balls up in the air, if not more. Yeah, the vision for the company, you know, as I said, it's all about these underrepresented communities, but doing so in a way that one allows these communities to feel like they have true ownership of their narrative. I think we a lot of times in media, you get this 
this outsider's perspective of those communities. I, we really want to hand these platforms over to the people who are living these experiences. And also part of that means that representation doesn't mean just saying, hey, everybody, look at me. I am a black lesbian woman talking about black lesbian things. No, that can mean that you are just a great political uh, host like Danielle Moody and just happens to also be part of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, we have a show called Pick Last and Gym Class with a Paralympian, Lacey Henderson. Yes, she interviews some people who are disabled, but sometimes she just interviews other people who've just overcome some kind of adversity in their career to get where, where they are. And let's talk about how can we overcome that adversity while still creating this positive atmosphere? How can we still have fun while trying to overcome some of these challenges that we're facing? And yes, her story is rooted very much in being an amputee, but we can all learn from this. And it's not a hey, what was me, you know, kind of situation. It's, hey, I'm providing representation for others out there because I'm just happen to be a great host. And so now people who are looking at that, who are part of that disabled community or who are part of the LGBTQ plus community can look at this and see, oh, I don't have to be pigeonholed in the certain conversations. I can just be whoever I want to be and also still be a representative for my community because I am that community. So that's kind of the approach that we try to take with our programming where, yeah, we're not trying to be preachy. We really want to present conversations. Even our interview-based shows are more conversational because I think that's the beauty of what podcasting can bring. We listen to podcasts as, you know, just one person. We usually don't gather around a podcast. It's usually just a one-person experience. So can that person feel like they're a fly on the wall to the conversation? Can they feel like their stories are being reflected in the conversations that are being had. So that's kind of what we try to do. And right now we do a lot of it through podcasting. But now that we have this new video space here uh, in Times Square, we're doing a lot more video content. Um, I was kind of joking earlier, but I'm very much open to the fact that down the road, augmented reality or virtual reality may be the best way to reach audiences. So I'm constantly looking at new technology, what's coming up, how is the industry pivoting, and how can we not only you know, take advantage of it, but can we be on the forefront of that? I don't want to wait until everybody else is doing it and then try to hop on the bandwagon. No, I want to be leading the train. And especially for our audiences, especially for people of color, these marginalized communities, can we be that champion for them as we go into these new spaces? And at the same time, not just for the communities that are listening to us, but also can we be a leader in the podcasting space, in the media space to allow others to come behind us or to raise up with us at the same time so that we are getting more content for our communities because we're a small company. We're not going to take be able to take on every great podcast that is out there, yeah. every great video show that is out there. And especially because this is such an on-demand platform, leading people to other great content does not take away from people checking out our great content. If anything, it helps enhance that because yes. our audiences will trust us more because we're giving them what they need for their life, whether it be our content or somebody else's. And at the same time, by raising up somebody else, that network or that show is going to want to help raise us. So everything yes. works together. We're coming full circle to kind of how we started, but like, oh. all you know, raising tides, raise all ships. And that's how I like to operate. Ah, oh, man, I want to say something else. I might save it for the after show because that is a freaking fantastic point to end because you did bring it full circle. And I think I said at the very beginning, I knew this would be a fantastic conversation. <laughs> and Chris, I'm I'm so glad you've come on the podcast. You've, you've been uh, so open, honest about everything. We did talk a lot in Nashville, but I definitely learned a lot today. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I know the P&B family is going to get a lot, a lot out of this one. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciated it. Yeah, if, if anybody out there, you know, in your audience wants to check out our content, dcpofficial.com. We're also on uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. We're soon going to be on TikTok because I keep getting yelled at to not be on TikTok. So hopefully when you're hearing this, we will be on TikTok at dcpofficial uh, for all of our handles. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome, man.
Thanks again to Chris for coming on the podcast and speaking so candidly about all the things. I really didn't know I was going to have as much in common with this brother as I did. And I'm really excited to see what he does next. So much props and respect. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with someone you know right now and tell them to get their listen on. Don't do it later because you know you're going to forget. So tell them right now. Also, to get the PNB monthly newsletter with actionable work, money, and life tidbits, visit paybal.co slash email. Again, P-A-Y-B-A-L dot C-O slash email. It's a no spam zone around here. You get the same quality as you get on the podcast once a month. So you know what's happening around the worlds of work, life, and money. Thanks for listening. And until next time, do something dope.